all the dreamers are castle bound. At midnight stroke, we will unwind, revealing fantasies soft or unkind. Show me debauched nightmares or sunniest daydreams. Come not as you are, but as you wish to be seen. Aaron A. Craig, House of Salt and Sorrows. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm Stephanie, and joining me today is booktuber Sean from Eclectic Cove, formerly known as Eclectic Reads, to talk with me about all things gothic. Well, welcome to the show, Sean. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) I would like to apologize to listeners and just everyone for my voice right now. I am... As you can tell, fighting a cold. I was just talking to Sean. I'm like, I made it all winter without getting sick. And then at the end of February, I got hit with this. So uh, just bear with me. This will probably be like the last episode that goes out, I think, before my maternity leave. So we are working through it. So today we are talking about gothic fiction. What is your relationship to gothic literature? Well, my relationship to Gothic literature kind of falls in that my two absolute favorite genres or subgenres of horror, haunted houses and vampires, fit so nicely into Gothic literature. I mean, they basically make up the brunt of Gothic literature. So mm-hmm. it's, it felt kind of when you brought this up as a topic, I'm like, okay, yeah, that, then I get to read Haunted House stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I never thought about that. That is similar because those are two of my favorite as well. And I'm like, I guess that does make sense why I am attracted to Gothic literature. Do you remember the first Gothic story you ever read? Dracula. I was in this. Dracula. Yeah. What age? <laughs> oh, God, I don't even remember. I'm because I'm 42 now. I used to. I probably read that when I for the first time when I was 10 or 11, so over 30 years ago. Oh wow! Um, and I used to read it every year uh, in October. So oh, that's quite the feat. I remember I read it for the first time in high school. I think I was 15, and I bought like the Barnes and Noble like mass market paperback edition of like classics that they have. Yeah, and, yeah, I think I had that edition. Yeah, it's like beige. Um, and I remember I read it and it blew my mind. And I was like a weird, crazy, like religious person trying to get all my friends to read it. I'm like, guys, have you read this? Have you heard about this? This is amazing. <laughs> my friends were like, remember when you went through that like really weird Dracula phase? <laughs> it's a really good book. Everyone should go read it. This is our... <laughs> go check it out. I'm just wondering... Uh... When you went through that really weird Dracula phase, I I think you're still in it. Yeah, I never got out of it, but that's, like, when I realized, like, oh, like, not everyone is into this. That's when, like, that hit me. Yeah. <laughs> so what is it that you like about gothic horror? Yeah, I guess what, what I what I like about it, and it, it's, it's what I like about um, vampire, you know, haunted house stories and vampire stories is, one, the kind of mansion-y 
settings that a lot of that can happen in that 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 sense of uh something's always just lurking in the shadows watching you Mm -hmm. and that that that's what always gets me about a good haunted house story or a really good vampire story that's true they're very atmospheric too Mm -hmm. so there is a ton of information out there about gothic fiction and its origins and its reach and there's so many just subgenres to gothic there's like you know that british gothic and of course there's southern gothic i love southern gothic that will be its own episode in the future i promise um but i'm yeah i'm not going to get into like the history of what gothic fiction or gothic literature is i do want to talk about some common tropes of gothic fiction and how to kind of identify because you were talking earlier and you were saying like gothic fiction is definitely like a feeling like you read something and it's like this feels gothic yeah definitely so we'll talk about that and get into some of our recommendations so when it comes to gothic and what makes a book gothic I think some of it can be boiled down to like very specific things that you're gonna see a lot like I would say the biggest thing for me is probably like a decaying building of some kind. Yeah, like a castle, a haunted house, a a manor. But like the the structure in itself, I feel like plays a huge part. Yeah, I always picture like like a like a degrading castle or some sort of southern gothic plantation. You just use gothic in in its own (laughs) description, But. but. but you know, just like a southern plantation house that's just dilapidating. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of other tropes that go with them, and not all of them are going to apply to every story. But I feel like every story is at least going to have a handful of these. So right. I was saying, much like a bingo board, like if you're reading a story and you can check off, like you know, two or three, you might have a gothic story, right? So things like mystery and terror or omens or like a curse of some kind some family secrets that's my favorite yeah i i really enjoy that one Mm -hmm. well within horror i think we see a lot of the like supernatural and paranormal some romance uh villain which um is usually like a predatory male or in like feel like the old timey like gothic novels you have like the clergy oh yeah definitely the the evil clergy member and then like the psychological aspect like emotional distress and madness i think we see that a lot with like edgar Allan poe oh Um, definitely with poe is one of the probably one of the in my opinion one of the most classic gothic authors you can get Mm -hmm. oh yeah it's like classic american gothic So we see that a lot there. I mean, like, yeah, Fall of the House of Usher is, like, the perfect example. Right. You might have some nightmares, an antihero, and, of course, you got to have a damsel in distress. Don't you in most horror, though? <laughs> yeah. That's true. But, I mean, it's been, like, my aesthetic dream to be, like, on those pulpy, like, 60s gothic, like, romance stories and being, like... A woman in a long dress, like running away from a castle during a rainstorm. <laughs> I just completely pictured that cover in my head. Like looking back, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> castle looming in the background. Uh, so those are some of the things you might find in gothic stories. Like I said, 
There's very few stories that are going to have like, you know, all of them. It might be two or three. So those are some common tropes. I did put a question out to Patreon and ask them what um, our Patreon supporters think of gothic horror. I mean, I got some interesting responses. So Alex Gray said, the first thing that comes to mind when I hear gothic is Rebecca, which is a good choice. Very gothic. We'll get into that. I did mention it for the romance episode too, but it goes with both gothic romance slash thriller. Also, Phantom of the Opera could be categorized as gothic as well. Great stories. Yeah, you know, I never really thought about Phantom of the Opera as a gothic yeah, I didn't story, either. but that, that makes a lot of sense. Definitely has a tyrant, predatory male, damsel in distress. Takes place in the old opera house. Mm-hmm. Some mystery and terror. Mm-hmm. That uh, An old opera house too that somehow has these cavernous labyrinthine underground to it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. And yeah, Rebecca is like so much of that that is Rebecca I think is probably the biggest one that comes to mind when people think of gothic you know outside of you know Dracula the Frankenstein stuff like that I think people think Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier and that's one that I'm ashamed to say I have not neither read nor seen the Hitchcock film and especially as big a Hitchcock fan as I am that is like to not have seen Rebecca is amazing i haven't seen the hitchcock film either but i have read it they're doing a remake of it i don't know how to feel about that i don't know how to feel about most remakes you know what they did um daphne du maurier's my cousin rachel a few years ago with rachel weiss and i didn't hate it so i'm gonna be optimistic okay had there been a previous movie of my cousin rachel I'm not sure. So I, I didn't have anything to compare it to, I guess. But if I haven't seen the Alfred Hitchcock movie, I will still have nothing to compare yeah. it to. I've heard rumors in the past about them wanting to remake The Birds, too, but it, nothing's ever come to fruition on it. I think if they remake it, they have to remake it like Birdemic. Oh, my God. Like with, with those birds. <laughs> it has to be like that kind of a movie. Oh, my God. Uh, another Patriot supporter, Alexandra Simon, says... The gothic horror is my favorite genre of horror. My favorite piece of gothic media right now is The Red Queen Kills Seven Times, a 70s Italian gothic giallo film, blood-soaked, very creepy, big decaying mansions, and lots of secrets, plus a possible family curse. Novel-wise, The Monk by Matthew Lewis is my all-time favorite. It has all the staples of the genre, religion, sex, violence, supernatural elements, and lots of murder. Speaking of more contemporary authors, V.C. Andrews' Dollenganger saga bears a lot of similarities to the female gothic subgenre. There's a devastating family secret, a decaying family home, evil grandparents, and wicked mothers. There's also a recurring element of spying and voyeurism, which comes up in the gothic genre. Characters often discover or observe important revelations through spying. Andrews' My Sweet Audrina also has strong gothic elements and might be darker than the Dollenganger series. Audrina has a tragic past and she can't remember and comes to realize life is being manipulated, controlled, and molded by those she should be able to trust. There's also a sex scene on top of a grave. Mary Shelley would be proud. That she would. And and Andrews is definitely one of those more uh, modern gothic to the latter part of last century. Um authors in fact flowers in the attic is one i considered reading for this episode yeah so it was like 80s gothic well because a lot of the buildings in that aren't decaying but it's heavy on the family secrets and like the wicked mothers and oh yeah and those old those those covers of the like the original 80s covers of those novels um or your 70s and 80s covers of those novels just you looked at it and your, your first thought was gothic you ever watched any giallo films i have not 
I haven't either. Bad horror fan. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to look into it now. But I think there's a whole, like, uh, if you have Shudder, there's, like, a whole, like, subcategory for them. So I should have checked them out before recording this episode. I did not. <laughs> um but yeah i will have to check that out that sounds very interesting the red queen kills seven times lots of secrets and possibly a family curse i'm into that Mm -hmm. there was an article on crime reads that talked about the evolution of gothic literature it was written by sylvia moreno garcia who has the a book mexican gothic coming out later this year i've already pre-ordered that i'm excited for it man it's on my list so she talks about how the evolution of it specifically from like what we were talking about the 60s like romance gothic with like the long-haired woman running away from the house (laughs) to the vc andrews in the 80s into what she calls domestic noir today she quotes kate ferguson ellis who says that gothic literature presents the middle class home as a paradox a site which should feel safe but instead turns horrific which i think is an interesting way that i think we might be seeing gothic play out kind of in books that are released today yeah i that is it that is interesting because like, like the first thing that comes to my mind i i haven't read the entire book but the first thing that comes to my mind even with that is uh helenoya yemi's um white is for witching i have i have that on my shelf and i haven't read it so what's the deal with that um like i said i i have not read uh the whole thing I, i've read probably 60 70 pages of it um mm-hmm. and i really the the part i've been in is the young girl in it really she she has a a disorder where she just eats random things like like chalk and she's just just she eats pretty pretty much anything but food and i i know that there there is a a family kind of a family secret element to that I think I stopped right at the point where things were going to start to turn really horrific just because not because I wasn't enjoying it just because life kind of took over and I couldn't I, I had could didn't have time to read anymore and it's it's one I've been meaning to get back to and I haven't so is that set in modern day yeah oh interesting yeah that's been on my shelf forever and it's been one of those books I'm like I will get to it and I have a feeling I will enjoy it yeah. but it's just it's there a story that I was thinking that could possibly fit into this modern gothic domestic story was um the virgin suicides by Jeffrey Eugenides I feel like it had it's very heavy on the atmosphere the house in a lot of well I should probably explain what the virgin suicides is about first yeah because I don't even know <laughs> Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, man. I felt like it was just like, I watched it so much growing up. I felt like it's just a pop culture staple in like everyone's minds. There's, like everyone watched The Virgin Suicides. Yeah, there's a bit of an age gap between us, though. So it, it, it hit you at the right age where I was all right, probably into my 20s, almost 30. <laughs> yeah, I was like a teen girl. Yeah. And I'm like, this is my personality now, actually. <laughs> um. So it is about, it takes place in Gross Point, Michigan in the 70s. And it follows this family that has four daughters. The book is not told from their perspective, though. The book is told through the eyes of the neighborhood boys. And it's like a Greek chorus, a plural, we, us. Um, So that's like who narrates the story. So we don't really ever get to know like what's going on in these girls' minds, but you know, at the beginning of the story, like the first sentence, it lets you know that um, 
essentially like all of these teen girls form a suicide pact and kill themselves. Hmm. So a nice light fare. Yeah, it's not, it's, I mean, I feel like the, the title is self-explanatory. Right. And he lets you know, like first sentence, like how it goes down. Like it starts with the end and then it backtracks and tells you. But it was about, yeah, the, these girls had these like super strict parents, but all the boys on the street in the neighborhood were just enamored by these girls. Uh, the story, I think, leans in more into like the kind of decaying suburbia, like because it was after uh, the Detroit riots and everyone like fled Detroit to the suburbs. And so it's kind of following like, you know, everyone followed this idea of like the suburbs are where everything's going to be better. And it wasn't. And so it does have some decay and it gets into like the house itself falling into a state of decay as time passes and just following like what happens with these girls as their parents like hold on them grows more and more strict it's 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 hard to explain <laughs> but I feel like it's very gothic like I would I would describe it as like a modern gothic story okay I mean, it sounds it sounds interesting I'm, I'm definitely gonna add it to my ever-growing <laughs> tbr <laughs> Can you think of any movies that could be described as gothic? Uh, the first one actually that came to my mind is not uh, one that I think would come to most people's mind. But the first one that hit my mind was actually um, Gaslight. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, the uh, 1944 Ingrid Bergman film, which is actually uh, a movie version of a play called Angel Street. Hmm. And it's where the term gaslighting comes from. Because uh, you you have the you have a woman who has uh, insanity in her family history and is haunted by the possibility that she herself is going to succumb to this family history of insanity, uh, living in this big house with uh, her husband who is using that to his advantage by making her slowly think she's going insane, doing stuff in the house, putting things askew, and then setting them right. And then when she brings it up and he's like, no, it's, 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 always, it's always been like that. And he's got his own reasons for, for doing that that has to do with her family history. And it's actually got a really great early Angela Lansbury role too. Ooh. Does it take place in the forties? The movie does take place in 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 the forties when it's filmed. Yes, I believe it's been a while since I've seen it. Have you ever seen a stage production of it? I have not, but my wife and I have been trying to get it produced somewhere because the the play is just fantastic as well. Because I know you're a big stage mm-hmm. person. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that. But yeah, like you got the definitely the predatory mm-hmm. like male playing like mind games and driving a woman to madness. Mm-hmm. I thought of um, Crimson Peak. I haven't seen that. Really, it is like the most gothic. Like that is like you put all those things in like the gothic meter, and it like will give you this script. Okay. And it's gear. It's directed by Guillermo del Toro. It's just like beautiful. But yeah, it's it's got everything. It's got like the madness, the decaying mansion, the family secrets and curses and ghosts and just like everything you could ever want out of a gothic story. Okay. Yeah, that's that's one I've been wanting to check out. Just, I just haven't gotten around to it. Mm-hmm. I thought of the others with Nicole Kidman. A- again, not one I've seen. It's a good one. <laughs> is that isn't that another? That's not another Del Toro. Is it? I don't think so. That's a good like 
atmospheric ghost story. Okay. I've heard good things about it. I just haven't ever gotten around to watching it. One that came to my mind is the... 1922 vampire classic Nosferatu, which is uh, a un unlicensed, unofficial, actually contested in court early Dracula uh, adaptation. Um, actually, when you watch, I learned that when you watch Nosferatu, you're actually watching a bootleg movie because all copies were ordered destroyed. <laughs> I didn't know that. I knew that like they had to change the name of it, right? Because they basically just did like Dracula, but they couldn't call it that. Yeah, I mean there there is definitely some differences from the Dracula novel, but if you've read the novel and you watch Nosferatu, you know that they were trying to do a a, a movie version of Dracula. But yeah, the uh, Stoker estate sued, and to my knowledge all copies of Nosferatu were supposed to be destroyed and they weren't. So now you get to see it. I actually watched, uh, on Halloween. I spent Halloween watching a screening of it with a live orchestra doing the sound with, you know, doing this, doing the soundtrack. It was, it was awesome. Oh, that's really cool. Is it a silent movie? It is. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I have never seen it. Oh, you should definitely. Suspiria, the, the, uh, Original 1977 Dario Argento Suspiria film also came to my mind, too, because you have this this girl going to this grand dance academy where things just aren't right, and you slowly mm-hmm. learn why things aren't right. Yeah, and it's definitely very atmospheric. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of which, secrets and old buildings. Yeah, and which Argento was great in atmospheric. Mm-hmm. I say, uh-huh, like I've watched a ton of Argento films. Like, I have not. <laughs> well, you, you should. <laughs> say that with the confidence of someone who's, like, very well-versed. Yeah. You know what's a, a subgenre of, like, horror that I wish there was more of is, like, dance horror. Because I like, like, Suspiria and Black Swan. Okay. Or, like, a dark chorus line. It could happen. Authors, I am putting a call out <laughs> if anyone wants to write this create more books like dark ballerina books or like anything like that i'm into it. i i gotta be honest i'm start i'm trying to picture how a, a, a dark horror version of a chorus line would go instead of like not getting the part they get killed off it's a slasher oh my god <laughs> would it still be a musical of course yeah you get to know all of them and you like feel for them and then they just start dying <laughs> i'm throwing out ideas guys so I don't have the chops to write it. If someone wants to write it, it's there for you. Oh, and you put my like sick day movie on here. House on Haunted Hill. Yep. <laughs> I. That's my like. I'm sitting in bed like, eating chicken soup, basically. Yeah. That's awesome. Because <laughs> you know I, you search for gothic movies, the House on Haunted Hill doesn't come up, but I think it's the original 1959 Vincent Price film. I think just it, it fits it fits in the gothic you mm-hmm. he tape brings them to this mansion he try he he tells them that that the place is haunted and you know i don't want to give give the twist away in it but yeah i uh, totally thought of that as a as a gothic film 
Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, the big plot thing is, like, whoever survives gets, like, $10,000 or something, right? Like, the last person standing at the end of the night. Like, he locks them in. Okay, yeah, yeah, and the original was $10,000. You ready to do some book recommendations? Absolutely. So the first book I want to talk about is Wilding Hall by Elizabeth Hand. Um, I'm going to describe it as kind of like a episode of VH1 behind the music, but a little bit more haunted. And I'm going to recommend this to people that liked Daisy Jones and the Six, but wanted more ghosts and stuff in it. This is about a 70s acid folk band that's talking to a documentary filmmaker and they're discussing one specific summer where they recorded their most famous album and they recorded it in a abandoned manner called Wilding Hall. It's very infamous. Like they did a a photo shoot and, you know, shot the album cover there. But there's a lot of urban legends and lore about the circumstances around the recording of this album. And it's kind of just like a big thing and like you know, urban legend, pop culture, and people have a lot of like theories about it. And so this documentary filmmaker is interviewing each of the bandmates and talking about what was going on that summer, you know, how did, um, just basically getting into like the recording and how the band members were interacting with each other. And of course, getting into, and of course, getting into the more like infamous events of the summer. And so you're reading this and you're reading like the documentarian's questions and then each band member's answers and their recollections and each person's point of view sometimes contradicts another person's point of view and like the way they remember what happened or certain events or like what people were wearing like little details like that don't always match up which I thought was interesting and you know true to life like people aren't going to remember everything people are going to remember things like different ways and I really enjoyed that um yeah so this was very atmospheric it's got the like crumbling like large manner it's got some supernatural elements it's very good I will say very underrated like I feel like actually more people need to read this book rating wise I'm gonna say room temperature you come for the band dynamics and stay for the eeriness and this is actually like a good book for someone who is curious about horror and who enjoyed like Daisy Jones and the Six or something like that, like this would be a good comp for that. For someone who is maybe curious about horror, I would say this is a good, good gateway book for that. And it's a novella. It's not very long, but it's very good. That is Wilding Hall by Elizabeth Hand. Yeah, that sounds, sounds great. I might have to check that one out. That's, I, I, I've heard that title, but had no idea that that's what it was. Yeah, I was. I, I remember being like very pleasantly surprised when I started reading this. I'm like, why are more people talking about this? This book is great. Okay, so my first book is This House is Haunted by John Boyne. And John Boyne is not an author you would expect a gothic horror novel from. He's actually a more literary fiction Uh, based writer he's more known for like the boy in the striped pajamas and uh the heart's invisible furies he's got this one book where he set out to write a kind of gothic dickensian uh ghost story um 
And in this book, we have a woman whose father has recently passed and she can no longer live at her father's house because she finds out that he was leasing the house. They He didn't own it and the rent was going to go up to a, a rate that she couldn't afford. So she has to quit her job teaching and take a job uh, taking care of two children at uh, a large manor. Godlin Hall is the name of the the mansion she uh, has to take care of the children at. And when she arrives at Godlin Hall, things are slightly off. She has does not see her employers at all. The kids seem to be there by herself by themselves, and things start happening to her almost immediately there is a a presence in the house that does not want her there it is set in 1867 and Boyne was very obviously trying to write kind of in a Dickensian manner in fact Charles Dickens is brought up in the book a lot the book opens with him doing a reading of an early version of A Christmas Carol Hmm. he writes in that Dickensian manner I listened to the audiobook of this and the the audiobook narrator she was really good the only disconnect I had was at the speed I was listening to it at made it more sound like a uh a Jane Austen comedy of manners than than a Dickensian book but there is no shortage of just haunting presence in this book and the manner kind of becomes a character in and of itself, which I think is kind of important for a gothic novel in my mind. I would give this book definitely a room temperature rating. Um, There's nothing, there's some creepiness to it, but nothing a general, even a casual horror reader wouldn't be able to handle. Um, And that's This House is Haunted by John Boyne. I I didn't even know about that book. I didn't either. I actually heard about it on uh, Simon at Savage Reads channel. He held it up, and it was right around the time we were (laughs) starting to talk about this, and I went, I'm reading that. (laughs) There we go. So my next pick is House of Salt and Sorrows by Aaron A. Craig. This is a young adult dark fantasy fairy tale retelling of the 12 dancing princesses which was not a fairy tale I had heard (laughs) before reading this book, but I feel like a lot of people have. I guess if you grew up reading like Grimm's, like, did you know that story? No, I I don't know. I feel like when this book came out and I follow the author on Twitter and she's like, it's based on this story. People were like, I love that story. I'm like, how do people know this? This follows our main character, Annalie, who lives in Highmore, which is a manor by the sea with her father, her stepmother, and her sisters. There used to be 12 of them, but four of them have died. Each one's death has been more tragic than the last. There's been a plague, a fall, a drowning, and a fall from a tall, slippery slope. Annalise starts to become suspicious that the deaths were not accidents, and I would say she's right to do so because they've kind of been in, like, descending order of, like, whoever's oldest, so I'd say she has a right to feel suspicious her sisters have started sneaking out every night to attend glittering balls and she isn't sure whether she should try to stop them or join them but who or what are they dancing with i really enjoyed this book it was very atmospheric very gothic but it's got that like aquatic like the castle is on this like rocky island by the sea and it's like cold and drafty and you also have this fairy tale like dark fantasy aspect to it i 
really enjoyed it. I love that setting, though. Like when I watched Game of Thrones, I loved like the whole aesthetic of House Greyjoy. I was not a fan of Theon too much, but their whole like castle and customs and everything was what I was into. So I really enjoyed this. I would say this is room temperature. There was some like, creepy imagery and there was scenes that like really delve into the horror. Like there was a bathtub scene that kind of reminded me of like Nightmare on Elm Street. There's a well-executed sense of dread while you're reading the story and as all of these things are happening and I just thought it was really well done, but I would say it's it's safe in most people's hands. I would say it's mostly room temperature, but it was a fun read in case you are into you know, like young adult dark fantasy fairy tale retellings. I thought it was well done. Uh, that is House of Salt and Sorrows by Aaron A. Craig. Now your note on the document makes sense. I was wondering what <laughs> NOES, what, what like what that was an anagram for that I did not get. I'm like, what's a very nose bathtub scene? Also, she misspelled nose. Um, <laughs> no, it was all capital, so I knew what you were trying what you were trying to do. But okay, the next book I want to talk about is actually a novella. It is Isolation by Michelle Garza and Melissa Laysan, uh, who are also known as the Sisters of Slaughter. This is a book about a woman whose husband has just passed, and she inherits his dilapidating mansion on this isolated island that she now has to go and live in it's part of it's part of the stipulations in the will that she has to go and live in this house which terrifies her because she has a strong fear of water and she's unsure if she's even going to be able to make the voyage over there she also is addicted to laudanum which is what gives this book its period feel a a year is never stated in this book you're never told what time period you're in but the overall feel of the book is, is a very late 1800s feel once she gets to the manor strange things start happening to her and attacks on her start happening from seemingly supernatural forces what i think was great about this book and i and i'm not going to go into a ton of detail because it's such a short book i don't want to give too much away michelle garza and melissa Lazen handled it in a way that you're not sure for a while whether the things that are happening to her are supernatural or an effect of her laudanum addiction. If she's just seeing these things because she can't go 15 minutes without dosing with laudanum. Later in the book, things start getting a little gruesome, which Michelle Garza and Melissa Layson are really good at writing gruesome scenes. Um, I would probably give this, because of that, a, a, a fridge rating, a very cold fridge rating. Um, I wouldn't go into the freezer on this one. I didn't think it was it was it was that gruesome or that or, or, or that frightening, but it, it definitely has some fridge worthy scenes towards the end. I think Michelle Garza and Melissa Layson are just two great female authors working in horror right now, and I don't hear them talked about enough. Um, and that's again Isolation by Michelle Garza and Melissa Layson. I'll have to check that out. That sounds really good. Yeah, it was actually 
actually like when we just i had just read this when we decided on this and i knew right away i was using it (laughs) so my last pick is now you're one of us by asa nonami this is japanese gothic i feel like all my picks have been like on different spectrums of like the gothic that's what makes your recommendations so great is you, you, you span so many different areas. Yeah, there's, there's something for everyone in this episode. I, I've done two ghost stories. <laughs> People like their ghost stories. They want gothic. So this follows Noriko, who hastily marries Kazuhito after a whirlwind dating experience. And they get married and he whisks her away to live with his family in their kind of ancestral home like there's like three generations of them that live in this like big house they seem very welcoming it's a large family like her mother-in-law is very nice to her there's a, a matriarch that kind of lives in the attic and Noriko starts to suspect that she's a lot sharper and more lucid than she is letting on and there's just a lot of like unexplained stuff like people are constantly making visits to the attic to go talk to you know the grandmother the matriarch and Noriko starts to become just increasingly paranoid as she learns about the family's like standing in the community and tries to piece together just like what little she gets from just private conversations she overhears here and there and she kind of just doesn't know what to do with that information and she's suspicious that like they're growing stuff in their garden what I thought was really good about this is there's just a creeping sense of dread throughout the story And you're following this character who has all of this paranoia and you feel like she has reason to be. But it's like one of those things like, you know, within gothic stories where she's paranoid, she talks to someone on the outside and then, you know, like everything gets explained away. Well, like, oh, like that makes sense because like this and this and this. And she's like, you're right. Like, what am I what am I worried about? Uh, but then like it just kind of goes back and like wait maybe I should be paranoid about this that doesn't seem right it's got this creeping psychological horror and it culminates in an ending that is both disturbing and gross so I will say it is absolutely not for everyone Um, I will describe the ending as (laughs) eeky in a way but like I don't know I was just so into this story and I was like yeah that is how this would end up I guess I don't know it was just I could not get enough of this book I it has like a three point something rating on Goodreads and I gave it five stars like it was just like I don't know I felt like a very good execution of like psychological horror and these like family dynamics and you got this like paranoid character I just thought all of those elements were done so well so for rating wise i'm putting it in the fridge because it's definitely just not like a give it to anybody type book the pacing is slow but i think it's got like a good payoff and that was now you're one of us by asa no not me i have been intrigued by this book since you posted about it last week <laughs> like i i saw that cover and went what the hell is this <laughs> that's like that's the thing that people are gonna read it and i'm gonna be like i don't like <laughs> I'm not like into that. <laughs> like it's just like that's just what happens in the story. I would like to say I'm not condoning anything that happens. But yeah, the cover on this I think is just such a perfect execution of what the tone of the story is. And if you haven't seen it, it's like a bar of soap with like a single like 
short short, short coarse on. hair on it so it's just like the, it's just giving you like the right amount of gross like right when you pick it up like you know what you're getting into that is our book recommendations ready to talk about some chilling obsessions so i finally watched the 2018 halloween you've seen it right i actually have not seen the new oh i thought you had one. It's it's the no it's the actually the only Halloween movie. I was I like super seen. proud of myself because like when it came out, <laughs> I hadn't seen any of them. I hadn't seen the original. I hadn't seen just any of them. So up to this point, mm-hmm. I've seen Halloween one through four, half of five. I DNF'd five. Like I just I couldn't finish it. Um, five yeah. was tough. Six was Is tougher. It? Okay. Though. Like I just I was like halfway through it. I'm like I just don't care. Uh, I still haven't seen yeah. H2O, haven't seen the Rob Zombie ones, but I watched this one. And this one, because people like the Halloween franchise has like how many different timelines? Like too many. It has it has rebooted itself so and changed the timeline. So and I think that's what kind of like if this looked good, but. I just wasn't super geeked about resetting the timeline again. So this one follows, it's a sequel to the first Halloween. Cause in the second Halloween, there's like a whole like revelation made. And so like, we're not flowing with that. We are like following, this is just a sequel to the first. It is like addressed in a funny way in the movie. So we are following Jamie Lee Curtis. What is her character's name? Why am I blinking? That's Laurie it. Strode. So we are following, um, this is modern day. So we are following Laurie Strode and she has a daughter and a granddaughter. She lives in isolation. She has this, like, she's this paranoid woman. And like, basically what happened to her in the first Halloween movie has ruined her life. Like she's become just a super paranoid woman. Like we learned that she lost custody of her daughter, like child protective services took her daughter away. And so like now as adults, they have like a very strained relationship and her daughter's not sure that she wants her in her granddaughter's life. And I'm here for all of these like tough family dynamics. And there's these true crime podcasters that are like traveling around and like want to get the real scoop on like Michael Myers and go to like interview him and interview Lori and just all of these things culminate because of course Michael Myers somehow gets out on Halloween (laughs) and I watched this in the middle of the day and I was like legitimately freaked out I was like I was like out of all the slasher franchises Michael Myers is probably the one that, like, in real life scares me the most. Because Michael Myers, in the way, especially with the way John Carpenter originally envisioned him, is he's just, there's nothing, there was never supposed to be anything supernatural about him. He was just supposed to be a guy who killed without yeah. remorse. Just complete 100% mm-hmm. sociopath. So, yeah, he's like, Michael Myers legit freaks me out. So, <laughs> this was a, like, <laughs> like I said, middle of the day by myself. Ooh, I'm getting scared. <laughs> so yeah, I was I was very impressed. I ended up uh, very much enjoying it. I suggest checking it out if you haven't checked it out. And like I said, you only need to have watched the first one, and you don't like need need first to have one, watched yeah. it. You know, but yeah. So you don't need to have like delved too far into the Halloween franchise to get anything that's going on. So that was Halloween, the 2018 one. 
Yeah, I'm definitely going to watch that at some point, but I just it hasn't been high up on my priority. I was at my library just looking at their Blu-rays and it was just there. I'm like, no, got to do it sometime. Yeah. <laughs> I, aren't they doing a, a, a sequel to this one now? Too? I think so. Didn't I hear that? I'm, I think so. <sighs> if it's bad, I'll okay. just pretend it ended here. <laughs> you, you got so many options of where to end halloween at that's true so my chilling obsession it took me a while to come up with one because i honestly i haven't really been watching uh a ton of horror or horror adjacent content i i mostly i've been working so much and my brain has been so fried that i've mostly just been watching like british panel shows and stuff so it took me a while to actually come up with a chilling obsession and ye the other day i ordered uh, a criterion collection uh blu-ray of uh fritz lang's 1931 german film m and i thought well, this is this 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 will work this this will work for a chilling obsession um i first saw this movie uh 20 some years ago in a film class uh i did and m is a german language subtitled film uh it's an early Peter Lorre film um, who is more known for uh, Hollywood films such as The Maltese Falcon and he played Ugarte in Casablanca, which is my all-time favorite film. And he plays a serial killer and it is one of the first films that Fritz Lang did with the new sound technology. Um, so it, it's, I think, Fritz Lang's first talkie. He uses... Uh, light motif in it so you, there's there's a there's a, a whistled tune that that uh peter laurie uh does which was actually fritz lang off camera because peter laurie couldn't whistle that tells you that he is the serial killer and in the course of the film somebody picks up on this and it culminates with him being basically judged by society and him making this this social commentary on society of you're to blame for the way I am and it's it's a social commentary that holds up to this day perhaps even more so to this day than it did when it was filmed and it it really is an interesting film to watch it and and kind of chilling um when you think about the things he says in his final speech i absolutely loved the movie and i'm excited that i finally got my own copy of it and i'm excited to watch it again so that's why i made it my chilling obsession i've never even heard of it yeah it's 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 just it's a one letter title m and you said it's part of the criterion collection <laughs> yeah you, there's a criterion collection uh video available interesting and the, one of the special features of it is uh the long lost english language version of it so you could watch the special feature and watch it in english but i think it's worth it watching it in its original german with english subtitles mm -hmm. so that is m so Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod or on Instagram at Books in the Freezer or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Books in the Freezer. You can send us an email at Books in the Freezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at Books in the Freezer.com. 
I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. Or on Instagram at that's what she read. That's with two A's. Or on YouTube at that's what she read. Just spelled normally. And I'm Sean. You can find me at uh, YouTube at Eclectic Cove, uh, on Twitter at Eclectic underscore Cove, and on Instagram at, uh, at still at Eclectic underscore Reads. Uh, you can also uh, find me on Letterboxd at SeanP24601. Oh, that's a good plug. I have my letterbox too. I don't know what it is. If you can find me on there, check me out. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been using it a lot more lately since I've been adding movie content to the channel. So <laughs> Yeah, it's been fun. Like sometimes I'm just like, I'm going to like make a list and go down this rabbit hole for like two yeah. hours. Anyway, join us next time for Books in the Freezer. <laughs> <laughs>